But we're up to chapter 17 in the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And chapter 17 is titled, Of the Perseverance of the Saints. So I'm going to open us up with prayer. But before I do that, um, I've been told I have to at least wish a happy anniversary to the Halls. Today, number 23. So... Happy anniversary. I know McKenna, your parents too, right? So I've heard the same day Tim and Crystal Long were married. So happy anniversary to them as well. It's pretty awesome. So let me open this up with prayer and then we'll dive into chapter 17. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning that you've given to us and for this opportunity in Adult Sunday School that we can dig into chapter 17 of this confession that we've been working through and and this really important doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, knowing that you work in all things to preserve us in our faith and to present us blameless before the Father and the day of completion. And just what an amazing truth that is that we cannot fall away because you keep us, you've kept us. And Father, may we dig into this and continue to grow in our faith and trust in you more through the lesson this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in the past, we've got a microphone, just like the last few weeks, a microphone going around. So if you're going to be a reader, if you could just wait for the microphone to come and read out loud into the mic, nice and loud, because we record this, and people will listen to it, and it's nice for them to hear So I've got on the front page, if we could just have three volunteers to read paragraph one, paragraph two, and paragraph three of chapter 17 of the Perseverance of the Saints. McKenna, can you read paragraph one then? Brandon two and Dennis three. Those whom God has accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by a spirit, and given the precious faith of his elect unto, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end, and be eternally saved, seeing the gifts and callings are without repentance, from which source he still begets and nourisheth, <laughs> nourisheth in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit unto immortality. And though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet they shall never be able to take them off that foundation and rock which by faith they are fastened upon, notwithstanding, through unbelief and the temptations of Satan, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them. Yet he is still the same, and they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, where they shall enjoy their purchased possession, there being engraven upon the palm of his hands, and their names having been written in the book of life from all eternity. Awesome. Thanks, McKenna. Paragraph 2. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ in union with him, the oath of God, the abiding of his spirit, and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. Thanks, Brandon. Paragraph three was Dennis. 
was going to read. And though they may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevaliency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of the preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grievous Holy Spirit, come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened, and their consciences wounded, hurt, and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Yet they shall renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. Thanks, Dennis. So the back is kind of your outline. I'm putting that on one page like I mentioned and just want to highlight some points from this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And I want to kind of start with just asking some basic questions, right? Somebody came up to you and said, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And I think, you know, many of us would say, yes, I'm a Christian. And then I think it gets a little harder if they ask, and are you confident you will go to heaven when you die? Are you confident you will go to heaven when you die? And I think a lot of Christians struggle with that, and next week we'll get into the assurance uh, of your faith, but I think that there's a point where we sort of have doubts in our life, don't we? Where we're like, yes, we know we're Christians, and yet there's a doubt that creeps in. Are we sure, are we confident we will go to heaven when we die? And I think that gets a little tricky. And then if somebody even pushed that further and said, well, could a true Christian fall away from the faith, you will have a difference of opinion depending on your theological or your doctrinal strain and and what denomination you're part of. And here we believe in something called the perseverance of the saints. And you notice how I phrased that, right? If somebody said to you, could you fall away from the faith, I think you'd have to ask them, well, define what that means, right? Could a professing Christian fall away from the faith? Could one of God's elect fall away from the faith? Could a person who's a church member fall away from the faith? And you notice how the confession here describes this. Those whom God has accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit. In other words, God's elect, true saints, could, cannot fall away from the faith. But a person who has professed faith in Christ or a person who has been in church their whole life and they seem to have exhibit fruits of the Spirit and walk with the Lord can fall away from their faith, right? So we have to be careful in our terminology when we say those whom God has accepted in the beloved, meaning who God has chosen. And we'll get into this a lot more. I want to highlight for you, I don't know if you guys have seen some of the recent headlines, and maybe they're not so recent anymore, but you guys have heard of ex-evangelicals, hashtag ex-evangelicals, people who are ex-evangelicals, who are professing and tweeting now. So you know Kevin Max is. Kevin Smith was the DC talk singer, changed his name to Kevin Max, recently tweeted, I'm ex-evangelical. And he gets a lot of responses. So first of all, if we're tweeting this, we've got a problem, I think, to start with. And people kind of come back and say, well, you've just renounced your faith. And he would say, no, no, you didn't read my tweet correctly. I'm ex-evangelical. I follow a universal Christ was his terminology. 
We have, I don't know if you guys know who Rhett and Link are. They have this Ear Biscuits podcast, tons of followers on YouTube. Both recently renounced their evangelical upbringing. You've got John Piper's own son who has renounced the faith. A lot of examples of this. Joshua Harris made a lot of news last year. The author who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, who's kind of walked away and said, I'm no longer a Christian. It was interesting. I listened a little bit on the YouTube deconstruction story of this Rhett personality and just kind of listened to like what his process was and when they talk about deconstructing or deconverting and just the terms that is used and the outpouring of like both sides, right? Of like, oh, I have a similar story. I was raised in the church, you know, very strict and all of those kind of, I, everything kind of comes out as, you know, like this was really difficult for me and I finally felt free to sort of break away. And what I want to talk about this morning in this is really just the how if we're truly a Christian and God has truly pulled us out of darkness into light, we won't fall away from the faith. And what a great comfort that doctrine is. This is in the Canons of Dort, which we had a sermon series on several years ago when we hit the 400th anniversary of the Canons of Dort, Article 9 of Chapter 5, which says, of this preservation of the elect to salvation and of their perseverance in the same. So that's your blanks there, the Canons of Dort. Both words, which we'll get into, are used in the Canons of Dort. Of this preservation, of this preservation of the elect to salvation and their perseverance in the faith. Chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession is similar to this chapter 17, paragraph 1. Uh, in the London Baptist Confession, it goes a little further in terms of just kind of explaining this. But also, if you have, uh, if you remember from your membership class and went through our Grace Covenant Constitution, I'll just read section uh, 7, part E, in our Constitution. We believe that all those regenerated by the Spirit of God will be likewise kept by God's power and are thus secure in Christ. Language that you'll find right in the London Baptist Confession, right? Likewise kept by God's power, right from paragraph one. So we're kept by God's power. In other words, there's kind of two key concepts here, right? Preserved by God, preservation, which is why a lot of people love to use that term instead of perseverance. But there's also a perseverance on our side. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? So Let me get into defining it in section two. So one um, easy way to remember it is once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. Another way to think about it is if you have it, you never lose it. If you have it, you never lose it. If you lose it, you never had it. If you have it, you never lose it. If you lose it, you never had it. A lot of people use the term eternal security. So you may have heard that before, eternal security. Eternal security, though, has been slightly twisted, I would say, and manipulated to, to kind of define this doctrine to say like, well, if you're saved, you can kind of live however you want. If you're saved, you can live however you want. 
So in other words, if you're a Christian and you're saved, it doesn't matter how you live because you're going to be saved until the end. God's going to preserve you. You're a Christian, and therefore I can live how I want to live. And that eternal security has become kind of this mantra to be like, it doesn't really matter how I live. Once I'm saved, always saved. Let me go live my life the way I want to. And we'll see that clearly that's wrong. But they do, and I'll just highlight this for you, there are some passages that they rely on in Hebrews 6 uh, and 10 and in 1 John 2, I'm sorry, 1 John 5 that they talk about where they see that once you're saved, you're always saved and how you live after that is less important. So Burkhoff defines perseverance of the saints like this, the continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that has begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. So the continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that has begun in the heart is continued to completion. In other words, God's gift of salvation to you is permanent, right? And that's why they use the words, you can never totally nor finally fall away. So a lot of biblical support for this. And I have, um, I think in your outline, I've got Romans 8. Let's read through these. These are really good for us to kind of hear again um, where this doctrine comes from. So if we don't mind, maybe we can kind of, for microphone purposes, sort of, read these in order um, as like Richie or Rachel you guys want to read the first one or two and then we can turn it back and Emma if you want to read so Richie you want to read Romans 8 29 and 30 and then Rachel can you read 2nd Timothy 2 19 and then Emma you want to read John 10 27 through 29 Sean Sandy are you guys comfortable reading one of you want to read John 6 39 I don't know if, Sean, if you're okay reading Jude 1 and Jude 24, those two verses in Jude. And then Philippians, not Philemon, uh, Philippians 1, 6. Cal or Terry, you got Cal, you want to read that? Philippians 1, 6. And then 1 Peter, um, Troy, you want to read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. And then, Pete, do you mind reading 1 Corinthians 1, 8? 1 Corinthians 1, 8. And then Jason, can you read, can you take us home? Read us 1 Thessalonians 5.23. All right. Romans 8.29 and 30. <clears throat> For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 2 Timothy 2.19 But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And this is the will of him who sent me, 
that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Uh, Jude 1. Jude, as servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's okay. Philippians, yeah, one to one verse six. And I, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 1 Corinthians 1.8 Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? First Thessalonians 5.23 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Thanks, Jason. That's um, a, a lot more verses in the Bible, but you can even see in that short sampling, right, just how many of those action words of of the lord and i really want to highlight just in this preservation section right god preserving us in our faith in first peter uh, 1 3 uh, through 4 that troy read just the works of god right according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable an inheritance that's imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, kept for us in heaven, who by God's power, right? Again, focusing on God's action and God's power, being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to, be, ready to be revealed in the last time. If you've noticed in all of those sections, it wasn't talking about, all right, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. It's the Lord keeping us. Nobody can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. In John 6, or John 10, 27 through 29, an artist drew this picture one time, right? God's fist holding on to a little person and demons trying to pry that fist open. And you know that that cannot happen. God's fist is stronger than that and he will never let you go. You can never be snatched out of your hand. And I love starting with Romans 8, 29 through 30 with Richie, right? The whole golden chain of redemption, God foreknew you. God predestined. He called you. 
He justified you and he glorified you. If God is calling you, if God predestined you, God's not gonna let you fall, right? Otherwise, it takes away from the whole purpose of God's election. If God is electing you and God is calling you and the Spirit is regenerating you, God's not gonna let you slip. I love those verses for that. And then I wanna talk more about Philippians 1, 6 at some point too, but just that beautiful verse, which I think all of us kind of know, right? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. J.I. Packer said, you're not strong enough to fall away while God has resolved to hold you. You're not strong enough to fall away while God has resolved to hold you. True saints persevere not because of their free will, but because of the immutability of election, which is the not changing effect of God's election, the efficacy of Christ's work, right? Not on our own merit, but in Christ's work, and the indwelling of the Spirit in perpetuity. The indwelling of the Spirit in perpetuity. You notice how paragraph two there talks about each of the three Godhead in the Trinity, right? God's election through God's love for you, the efficacy of Christ's work, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Our confidence doesn't lie in ourselves. Our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be assured that God's eternal purpose will not fail. And then you notice also in that paragraph, it talks about the covenant of grace. Our perseverance is promised by the covenant of grace, not the covenant of works, right? Not the covenant of works. If it was dependent on us and our works, it would not, we would not succeed. But it's promised by the covenant of grace. It's because in the covenant of grace, God initiates and accomplishes our salvation, right? It's God that initiates and it's God that accomplishes. Going all the way back to Genesis 15, right, with Abraham. God's the one who initiates and God is the one who finds a way. Note too, I just want to highlight that Christ intercedes for our perseverance. Christ is actually praying for our perseverance. In John 17, 11, Christ is praying for our perseverance. He prayed that the Father would keep the elect from falling. That's pretty powerful to think that Christ even now is praying for us that we wouldn't fall, that we wouldn't fall. He prayed for Peter. You guys know that passage probably really well, right? In Luke 22, where Christ says, Simon, Simon Peter, Satan demanded to have you and sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And then he says, so that when you turn, you can strengthen the brothers. Not if you turn back, but when you turn back, you can strengthen the brothers. Right before Peter went on to deny Christ, right? And it's kind of like this feeling of like, Simon, Simon, like, Peter, do you know that Satan demanded to have you, but I am going to keep you, right? Like, you will not fall, I've got you. He demanded to have you. You notice that Christ didn't pray for Judas like that, but prayed for Peter, who he's going to build his church upon, right? The rock. <clears throat> Hebrews 7.25 says, He is able to save to the uttermost, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25, he's, he's able to save to the uttermost. Uttermost meaning as far as you can think or go, right? 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. And God the Spirit is our seal, right? The Holy Spirit is our seal, that indelible seal, that guarantee that we will persevere to the end. I want to highlight, though, on this section, too, that we have to persevere, right? God's going to preserve us, but we have to persevere. And perseverance means endurance, right? Endurance. We have to endure the race set before us. Just when I say that, I'm sure you guys think of these Bible passages that come to mind just with that, right? Like, we run the race that's set before us. We endure to the end. We persevere. Endurance means to do something in the face of adversity or opposition, right? It's to, you've got obstacles in front of you, and you're going to persevere, endure. I don't know if you guys follow the Tour de France. I'm not a huge Tour de France guy, but that is a race of endurance. 21 stages, flat terrain on some stages, hilly on others, mountains on others. These guys are biking over 2,000 miles, right? That's a race of endurance, the gruel, the, the fight you have to do. The Christian life is a fight, right? That's what 2 Timothy 4, 7 says. We're gonna have enemies. We're gonna have a fight in front of us. We have to endure and persevere to the end. James 1, 3 through 4, the testimony of your faith produces endurance, so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hebrews 12, 1, run the race with endurance. That's set before us. Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. There's a perseverance, there's an aspect of the Christian life enduring and persevering to the end. You notice in the, in the confession, it talks about perseverance in something, right? When you persevere, you have to persevere in something. That's the state of grace. That's how it's defined there, right? State of grace mean, meaning that we're delivered from God's wrath and brought under his grace. We persevere in something. You don't just persevere. You persevere to a goal, right? Something that you're persevering towards. So we persevere in a state of grace, being delivered from God's wrath and brought under his grace. And you know, true believers have that Holy Spirit and they exhibit those fruits of the Spirit. We talked about that last week. I know Wesley talked about good works, right? We don't do good works to save us. We do good works because we are persevering in the faith that God has gifted to us, right? We persevere in faith. Note that we also persevere in repentance. We have to endure in repentance. That's hard for us, I think, sometimes, right? To really persevere in repentance. We persevere to eternal salvation, Hebrews 3, 6. So many passages there as well. But in summary, God keeps us strong. God keeps us faithful. God keeps us true to him. Imagine if we didn't have this doctrine. Alistair Begg says, you imagine if you were saved on a Monday, not saved on a Tuesday, trying to be saved again on a Wednesday and resaved on a Thursday, how your life would be? If that was the rhythm of your life, if we didn't have this doctrine. Romans 8.35, right? Who shall separate us from the love of God? If we're truly saved, if we're part of God's elect, nobody, nobody can separate us from the love of Christ. Well, what's our response? I think Romans 8.38-39, where we started, was great, right? That personal confidence 
that we have, that conviction that we're saved, we're always saved. We look to the Son. We look to Jesus Christ, the Son. John MacArthur says, Christians love Christ. Christians, Christians, like what would you define Christianity? It's people who love Christ. We listen to the word proclaimed. We stay close to each other as believers, which I think is really important in this day and age, right? Hebrews 13 talks about that. Let brotherly love abound, show hospitality, etc. We stay close to each other. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I know we've all looked at that passage and kind of wondered exactly how does that work knowing that God preserves us. But I think that's saying that we don't just sit back irrespective that we know that we're saved, but we continue, that faith that's in us continues to outflow, right, in good works, even though those good works are imperfect. Well, let me transition to some common objections. So, common objections. Aren't there Christians who fall away from the faith? Aren't there Christians who fall? Don't we even know people that maybe said they were Christians that fall away from the faith? Let me just point out a few, a few different groups of people that we have seen that fall away from the faith. One, I would say, would be nominal Christians. And the word nominal means in name only, right? In name only. Nominal Christians meaning Christians who say they're Christians, but that's in name only. They're not part of God's elect, though they may have professed faith. They may be a, a church member. They actually may be somebody who's done a lot of good for the church. But their heart isn't truly regenerated. And they don't truly believe. Maybe they're doing it because they grew up in the church, and that's just the way that they've always lived life. They come to church. They do good for the church. They enjoy even being in the church, but they don't believe in Christ. They might believe generally there's a God. They might believe even that there is some type of truth to the Christian faith, but it's not active and living in them. We're told to have an active and living faith. And I think what's kind of good for us to know as nominal Christians would be the parable of the sower, right? The parable of the sower. The sower dropped seeds, right? And some of it hit rocky soil. And it started to grow. But then the sun came out, there was no moisture, and it withered, and it died. Or even the ones that got dropped among the thorns, and the thorns grew up around it and choked it out. So we can even see in Christ's parable that talk about who, who people have said they're Christians, professed maybe faith, and their faith wasn't genuine, living, active, and real. We see that in Matthew 24, 10. Jesus says many will fall away. 1 Timothy 4, 1 talks about some who will depart from the faith. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. There's even names in the Bible of people who have fallen away, right? Demas in 2 Timothy 4, 10, which says he loved the world too much. Or Hymenaeus and Philetus, 2 Timothy 2, 17, 18. So we're told even names, people who have fallen away from the faith. And I would say, so one, nominal Christians, Christians who were Christians in name only. But then number two, the paragraph three talks about the world. You notice how they hit three different things, right? The world our flesh, 
and Satan. The world, flesh, and Satan may cause true believers to fall into grievous sin for a time. The world, flesh, and Satan may cause true believers to fall into grievous sin for a time. There's a lot of biblical examples for that too, right? David, Peter. I think of Peter and I'm just amazed, right? Like, who confessed Christ as Lord at the end of Matthew, right? Who do people say I am? Jesus Christ, son of the living God. And then right after that, betraying, and right after that, this is where Jesus is saying, Satan demanded to have you. Peter, falling away. The prodigal son, the parable, right? Walking away and coming back. Maybe people that you guys know in your own life, people who have fallen away for a time and have come back. People who can fall into grievous sin for a time. You notice that it says in paragraph three, one of the reasons they fall away is that they neglect the means of their preservation. They neglect the means of their preservation. Which is a great reminder for us, right? Those means of preservation, meaning those means of grace God gives us to strengthen us and nourish us in our faith. The prayer, hearing of the word, the fellowship with other believers, participating in the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. True believers may have a radical and serious fall from grace, but never total or final. Never total nor final. I just want to encourage us, those means of grace, right, that I mentioned, that enables us to strengthen our walk with Christ. You know, Martin Luther would spend a couple hours of prayer each day, and somebody came to him and said, what would happen if you had a really busy day, like you had a full agenda? And he said, you know what, then I'd, I'd spend actually more time in prayer. I would spend three hours in prayer then. Like, just taking a step back, right? Like, in the, even in the busier times of our life, or the times that we are like, man, we really need this, we need to do it, right? We can't neglect the, the means that God has given us to hear the word, to pray, to fellowship with other believers who can strengthen us in our faith. This is amazing testimony with Martin Luther, right? I pray a couple hours a day, but hey, if I had a really busy day, actually, I'm gonna spend more time in prayer in that day. I think that's really powerful. John MacArthur says, those who abandon Christ, it's not a failure of eternal life. It's just evidence of a superficial faith. But I do want to highlight, for, I like 1 Corinthians 10, 12 as a good passage for us to remember, right? Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed as not fall. We have to work our faith out. If one saved, always saved, here's another common objection, which I think we touched on earlier. If one saved, always saved, what's the desire or motivation to stay true and committed to Christ? Like, doesn't that just give us a license to sin if we're saved? We're always saved. You know that a true Christian would never say that. That would never be a response to that supernatural work, right? That would never be our response. If somebody came and saved you from a burning fire and you came out and you're like, no, you would be like, thank you so much. You just saved my life. 
And Christ has saved us, right? I mean, he's regenerated us. His Holy Spirit has worked in us. And our response would be like, oh, now I can just sin? That would never be a true Christian's response. I never have that free license to sin. We respond to God's supernatural work in saving us with gratitude and love through good works as imperfect as our good works may be. The fruits of our saved lives should be evident to all, right? We should just exhibit, just overflow with gratitude for what God has done for us. How do we respond when Satan does try to tempt us to sin, right? You can just sin, and then you can just repent. Not a big deal, right? Sin, repent, you're all good again. You know, as the Puritans used to say, right? You have to kill sin, or it's going to kill you. You have to put to death the sin that's in you. If you don't hate your sin, as Sam Waldron says, we have to vomit up our sin, right? We have to, it's just, it's so bad for us. We have to get rid of it, whatever. We have to kill it, mortify it. Let me end with this. What's the comforts of this truth? What's the comforts of this truth? John MacArthur says, if it were possible for me to lose my salvation, I would lose it. If it were possible for me to lose my salvation, I would lose it. In fact, he says, I would lose it a thousand times over. If it were possible for me to lose it, I would lose it. But our comfort of this is we don't have to be afraid that though we believe in Christ today, we might lose our salvation in the end. Isn't that awesome? That for me means a lot because I will have moments in my life where I'm like, is this really real? The doubts creep in, but we know that if we truly believe in Christ, we'll never lose our salvation. There's a comfort even for those people in their lives. If you know people who have all of a sudden lost a loved one, right? You ever think about like, what happens if I die suddenly and I have an unconfessed sin? What happens if I'm taken in a heart attack or a car accident and I have some sin that I never confessed or repented of? This doctrine, I think, gives us the assurance, right, that we were true believers in Christ and that we will be with him. He's not going to let us go. We're a true believer in Christ and the unconfessed sin at the end of our life will not taint us when we get to heaven and Christ will still say, well done, good and faithful servant, because he has done that work for us, right? He has accomplished what we could not God is sovereign in our salvation, beginning to end, right? Salvation is God's work, beginning to end. Eternal life has a love that never fails. We have a living hope. We have an unassailable joy. I think the right place to end is Philippians 1, 6, right? And I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty awesome way to end, isn't it? Like when you think about this doctrine, that Christ who began a good work in you, you can be sure he's going to bring it to completion. You can be sure the confidence we have in Jesus Christ to bring us to an un imaginable joy in heaven someday let me close us in prayer and then you guys can go get another cup of coffee god we thank you so much for this beautiful truth 
just thinking about the reformed doctrines of faith where men are totally depraved in our sin and yet you have found a way to call us out of sin into a living relationship with you and you have us so tightly gripped in your hand that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That we have that joy that we know that we are children of God today. We know that we are children of God tomorrow. We know that we're children of God forever. Father, just may that truth just impress upon us a living and active faith that we can exhibit and, and show to the world around us and to the people in our lives. May we continue to live just lives of deep faith in you and walk more closely to you. We now transition to corporate worship. We just pray for that, for the singing, for the prayers, for the hearing of the word. May it all bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.